0: of it, we see the fire by night and the smoke by day because we're, we are going forward. Yeah. There is no backing up. No. There is no backing up. You know, we, we've said it here a couple times, probably in the last month, but to be a Roman soldier sent in by a ship to conquer a new place After landing, the first thing we did was burn the ship because you ain't getting back on that boat and going home. You've been sent for an assignment. Now go do the assignment. And I feel like with all the various exhortations this morning that that's where we're at. We have the assignment. It's not unknown to us. We don't need to pray and fast for 40 days to figure out what God's speaking. He's already spoke it. He's already pouring into us fresh oil, the freshness of his presence, so that we're well-equipped to do what we've been called to do. And now we just keep going forward, because that's the call or the mantle that rests upon this house. So um, that was part of my pondering this morning. I think next week I'm just going to get a little chair and go sit in the fishbowl with Rob. By yourself, <laughs> Well, I definitely won't be playing. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a song about that, just bang on this drum all day. That's about all I'm going to do. I'm just going to bang on it. Um, but the, the other thing that I saw early as worship was going on was where how in a, in, it it was like the great hall where the king and the queen, where the king would reside, and the hall is full of people, but when the king walks in, everybody steps aside as the king comes in, and I felt like this morning we were doing that. As he was coming in, we were stepping aside and bowing in honor to the king, and, um, for the king was bringing his proclamations, so. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, so I started a couple weeks ago talking about finances and um, I'm still plugging along on that. And um, so last week I was talking about the difference between being a servant and being a steward and how those how we, we, we actually find ourselves where, in one instant, I could be a servant. In another instant, I'm a steward. And how does that? And looking at ourselves, like, do I know when, those, when that happens? Am I aware even when the transition happens? Because I've been in situations where I started as a servant towards someone, and it shifted. And now I'm stewarding something with them. And there's been other times I started as stewarding something with someone, and then ended up coming under them and serving. Uh, so how do I, you know, can I can I tell the difference? And I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to imply that we should always be looking for the difference. I'm just saying when it, when you're aware of it, you should be aware of it. You know? Yeah. So I've I've been pondering this for a while, and I and this week I went back and just kind of went and looked at the, defi- the what does the Bible have to say about being poor? Because we, if we're going to start talking about managing finances, if we're going to start talking about stewarding what God has given us, I think it's important to have a definition of what the Scriptures say about being poor. And I was somewhat surprised when I went through, and I just, I just, every verse that mentioned the poor, I just put it in a file, which is what I'm looking at. And I'm not going to read it all for you today because there's um, lots of verses that deal with the poor. A couple of things in a general sense that I discovered is God's heart is really tender towards the widow, the orphan, and the poor. And when you mess with them, he doesn't like it. So if you want to kind of stay on, on, on good side with God, don't do something against the widow, the orphan, or the poor. The other thing that uh, I saw as a general theme through this, and, and maybe some of that will come out today through the verses I am going to read, throughout the Scripture, the Scriptures talk about that, the fact that there's poor. And the first scripture we're going to be looking at is in Exodus. So, I found this interesting that in these early scriptures, those scriptures are roughly 3,400 years old. So, for 3,400 years, and obviously the problem was going on before that, hence the need to even write anything. But the problem of the poor, the problem of people misusing the poor, the problem of rich lording over the poor, the problem of of, uh, kings in that terminology, but politics in our terminology, creating things that increase misery to the poor, or even make people poor who weren't poor before they got involved with it, is not a new thing. It's been going on. So, it tells me, There's something in in the heart of man that's in a heart that's not regenerated in Christ. And even for some of us that are regenerated, we don't do so good with this. But this idea of how people interact with the poor and what the poor deal with, God is mindful of that. And he actually has a lot to say about that. And he has a lot of warnings to say about that. So, let's start. Let's turn to uh, Exodus 22, 25. Um, everything I'm reading today, I'm reading out of the um, English Standard Version. Yep, twenty-two, twenty-five. 25. This is the, the first verse in Scripture that deals with the poor. That actually names them by name. I'll put it that way. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like the money lender to him. You shall not extract interest over him. Exodus 23.3 You shall, nor shall you be partial to a t- poor man in a lawsuit. Exodus twenty-three six. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. So here's three, three different scriptures in Exodus. This is all coming out of, the, out of the law that's been given what Moses is writing. And so already at this point, 3,400 years ago, there was a problem with people and how they lent money. Citibank did not figure out how to rip us all off on their own. It's been around a long time. God didn't like it then; He doesn't like it now. He doesn't like it when the lenders, um, uh, when when the lender's goal is to enslave the borrower. It's not that interest is not acceptable, but interest that enslaves is not acceptable. Now, and as I'm, as I'm sharing these things over, you know, what I've already shared now and what I'm going to share, it's like one of the things I want us to see is there's, there's two different systems in operation in the world. There's the world system, which these scriptures are speaking against. And now we live in the kingdom. And the kingdom doesn't function this way. The problem that most of us deal with, we've lived in the world system so long. I've been there coming up on 68 years. I am influenced by the world system, and there's things that the world keeps repeating, 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 that after a while, I just accept as, well, that's just the way it is. And by the way, that's a horrible expression. Yep. Yep. Well, it just is what it is. Well, that's just the way it is why? Why did you quit? Well, I can't change everything. No, you can't, but you can change a lot. You can start by changing yourself. (laughs) The powerful thing about changing yourself is then I automatically become an influencer everywhere I go and I get to change a whole bunch of other people and help them change. But if I don't change first, then I'm just another one in the sea of humanity that, well, that's just the way it is. But at some point, people stick their heads up above the crowd, look around, and go, I got an idea. And of course, the crowd doesn't listen <laughs> because they're busy with their heads below, where all you hear there is, <laughs> but when you stick your head up, you go, I have an idea. God goes, me too. Let's talk. And things get birthed. But you've got to stick your head above the crowd to get there because the noise in the crowd is just always too loud. Not only that, the general consensus of the crowd is we don't want you to succeed because if you succeed, that points out to the rest of us that we've done nothing. And I don't like that. But if you stick your head up above the crowd, when you look around, you'll see other heads. (laughs) And they're going, hey, hey, you over there. What are you up to? I got an idea. What's your idea? Well, such and such. I got an idea like that too. And above the crowd, the heads start moving together. And we form groups, the the above-the-head groups. And all of a sudden, things start being birthed and start transforming the earth. Every time you look at the history of man, it's always required somebody to stick their head above the crowd. And when the crowd said, get your head down and shut up, you went, nope, I'm out of here. You just climbed up and walked on their shoulders and got out of there. Because now I'm a kingdom person. In the kingdom, we live with our head in the cloud. So this idea of from the I mean this for me, this just fascinated me that every time I read this, I'm like. These instructions are over 3,400 years old, and they're relevant to me right now, and they're as powerful to change my life as they were 3,400 years ago when the writer penned them. That's the power of the Scriptures that we have at our disposal. Now, People get all caught up sometimes. They're like, oh well, you know, the old testament. Rah, God's just killing everybody. Ah, God's man. Ah, there's fire everywhere. And they get all this stuff about the Old Testament. You know, so they, I'm chucking that. The problem is, especially in in the world today, in the world system we live in, the the goal is Everything, no matter where it was in history, in the historical timeline, everything is supposed to be judged by the revelation we live in right now, which is nonsense. We are the, cum- the, the accumulation of revelation of past generations, but somebody in the beginning had to see the piece of it and then express it within the culture that they lived in and the time that they lived in. And God, in the timeline of humanity, God has been working with us where we are, moving us to where we should be. You can't go back and judge these scriptures by, by today. I would say, maybe if we went back and brought a few of these scriptures back into today, yeah. today would look better. Because we're still crying for justice and we've not found a way still to bring justice on the earth. But the scriptures give us direction and give us understanding in what justice looks like. So here, when you give money to don't extract such a high price for for lending the money that now you impoverish the person that you lend it to. The goal is not to make that person the slave. The goal is to help that person take the next step and empower them to move forward. And of course, to the lender, there's always there's risk in lending. That's why interest gets charged. Primarily, it's like, I'm trying to weigh the risk here. I think this is good. I think I think I stand a good chance of getting my money back. I don't know that it's so good. So that gets that gets uh, added into the equation. But the goal is if I'm if I have the wherewithal to lend, then I should see my ability to lend as the ability to empower, not the ability the ability to enslave. That's what the scriptures are giving us. Exodus twenty three eleven. But the seventh year, you shall let it rest, he's speaking about the ground, and lie, lay follow, lie fallow. Try that one again. But on the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the fields may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Now, this This is kind of, you know, so every seven years they were instructed, let the land rest. So this is before the day of modern agricultural practices, fertilizing, all the things that we kind of take for granted in raising crops. In this time, the land needed to rest, which gave it a chance to rejuvenate, which gave natural things the ability to grow for that year that you're going to turn back into the soil next year when you plant. And that that building up of organic material was good. So it was just a, a common-sense agricultural practice. But nonetheless, for those that, were, that had the fields, there was instruction. Take into account the poor that they might eat when you're harvesting the field. I, as a kid growing up on the farm, I didn't understand it at the time, but my uncle did this practice all the time when uh, we would be out during harvest time, especially in the summertime when we were harvesting vegetables. He raised peas and lima beans were the primary two summer crops that, we, that he raised. And then, of course, there was spring grains and, and fall corn and soybeans. But in the summer, when peas and lima beans were being harvested, you see them today. They, they go by our house you know, at 15 miles an hour and take six hours to get down the road. And I've been behind them the whole time because they got so close I can't pass. The harvesters. uh, Now, the ones my uncle had weren't quite as modern as the ones now. But still, when we came into the fields, we would start harvesting. And local people would come by in their cars with their kids and their pans. And with the harvester, you know, you, you... in square or rectangle fields, you plant to the corners. But you can't always harvest to the corner. So all the corners would be left. Uh, Sometimes with those machines, when you come out and you're turning to start back into another row, you'll, you'll, you'll stripe a piece where you don't get quite all of that row as you were turning. So now there's 20 or 30 feet of a row that's unharvested. Well, these people would pull up in their cars, get out usually with their kids, and it's a hot summer day with their pots, and they would all be out there picking the peas or picking the lima beans. They would be cleaning every row they could clean. Now, and I said, at the time, I didn't, you know, I'm a kid. I wasn't paying attention to all that was going on. But my uncle always made sure that when they got done harvesting, you know, they would come over, Mr. Jones, thank you, thank you. My uncle would give me your pot. Yeah. And he'd climb up on the machine and fill the pot. So they left the, the field with full pots. Remember the poor. Do what you can to be an aid to what the what the poor need. And as I started looking at this, I... I feel that, that this is the place that this church is transitioning into a much deeper way and a broader way with things that, that God has already started and things that are on the minds of the next leaders that are going to take this church forward. There's some really amazing things that are going to take place. And so be mindful of the poor. Make sure that when you can, their pot is full. The other thing, and this was a conviction for me, and I'm still struggling with this, and, and there's a few verses that God and I are still talking about, so I'm not going to talk about them yet to you. But it's there. But it's there. Um, I find through all these verses, now this isn't a truism, which means it's, it's an absolute, but I do find this through all these verses on the poor. God talks about the poor He doesn't talk about other than when they've been taken advantage of by other people. But as far as the poor themselves, God never talks about why they're poor. I talk a lot about why people are poor. I have opinions about why people are poor. I have not helped people because of my opinions of why they're poor. And I'm not so. This, I'm saying that I'm not saying that as a truism because I know there's times it's not the right thing to do in that moment. But I need to know why it's not the right thing, and it can't be not doing it because my bias says I shouldn't do it. I need to do it because I know it's the right thing in God in this moment not to do or to do it differently than what they're asking. I need to know, in my own heart, the conviction I carry. And when I say no, why am I saying no? And what's the purpose of no? Because there is time, a time to say no. I, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm in an area where I know a drug market is, and somebody walks up to me and says, man, I ran out of gas. I just need five dollars. Like, well, where's your gas can? Well, I'm gonna get the gas can. I just need five bucks, man. I'm out of gas can you just help me get to the gas station. Like, I'll tell you what. What is it that you need? Why do you need gas? Well, you know, whatever it is. Well, how, just get in the car, I'll give you a ride to where you need to go. No, man, just give me five bucks. Five bucks is all I need. Well, I'm not gonna give you five bucks, but I'll buy you food. No, man, I just need five bucks. There's a time to say no. Because if I put five bucks in your hand, you're going to go right down the street to the guy that sells stuff in little bags. Little bags. And I'm, I, I'm sorry, I'm not, in, I'm not in that economy. But God, I just, I find this interesting. God just doesn't hold it against people for being poor. And he doesn't give long descriptions on why people are poor. Now, he does in Proverbs give some, descri- dis- some, some instruction. Like, if you're going to drink all the time, you're going to be poor. You know, in today's world, if you're going to smoke weed all the time, you're going to be poor. Because half the day, you're going to be asleep, and the other half the day, you're still trying to figure out who you are. You're going to be poor. Life requires more engagement than that. All right. So Scripture does give us things. but generally speaking, this idea of poor, God isn't doesn't invest many things in Scripture, talking about why they're poor. What He does spend a lot of time is talking about, those of us that aren't poor, what are you doing for the poor? What's your responsibility there? (laughs) Will that um, picture be able to be put up? It doesn't have to go up yet. I just... Oh, okay. Well, I'm looking up there. I don't see anybody. Uh, Jason's going up there. Just let him know. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Jason. Exodus 30, 15. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. Leviticus fourteen twenty-one. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall make he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waived, and to make atonement for him, and a tenth of a ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, And a log of oil. I I love these two verses in that when it comes to atonement, when it comes to access to God, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to moving in the gifts of the Spirit, when it comes to all the things that we do normal in all the in, in, in church life, there isn't a difference between the rich and the poor. It's a level playing field. I don't care if you're rich or you're poor, everybody gives a half-shekel. That's what you do when you come in to make your offering for atonement. If you're poor and you can't offer all that the, the, the wealthy can offer when you come to make atonement, that's fine. Just do this, 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 and this, and you can make atonement. The way of salvation, whosoever will, may come. The door of salvation is open to all of us. It was open then. And this, again, as we talk about about Scripture, here we are 3,400 years ago, and God is already talking about how he is completely accessible to whosoever would come. It's a level playing field should you choose to come. I don't don't put you off. New Testament, Paul exhorts us. He says, you know, if you have somebody that's wealthy and they come in, don't give them the best seat. Don't play up to them just because they got money in their pocket. Don't do that. That's not the way the the kingdom of God works. Whosoever may come, and in the kingdom, God is advancing all of us. God, unlike our government, doesn't pick and choose who gets to win and who gets to lose. God just picks to win. The kingdom of God is about winning. It's about us being elevated from where we are. I come in, I'm broken. I'm, 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 my, my life has been trashed by sin. All the things that, that I bring in with me when I come in, but when I come in, now I've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, as we sang about today. And in that cleansing now, I've been put on the same level as everybody else in the kingdom with equal access. I can come boldly to the throne of grace regardless of my financial stature. I can come boldly to the throne of grace regardless of where my life is in any given moment. I have access to the throne of God. He was laying the foundation of that 3,400 years ago. Come. We talked about that. You know, just come. Just come. And again in Leviticus, we've already talked about this a little bit, but you shall not strip your vineyard bare neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You don't have to get it all. I've seen people that are so intent on feeling like they have to get it all. I have to make sure I've gleaned every last bit of it. And it's an obsession. It's not just a work habit. But God is saying, look, don't worry about it. What falls to the ground? You got enough. You're all right. Leave some for someone else. You know, it's like, um, you know, you you take a table and you fill it full of stuff and you put it in the street. See, It's free. People get really caught up on, I got to get it all. And they're walking out, they're dropping stuff as they're going, but they've got it every which way they can because they're trying to get everything on the table and say, well, there's 20 people standing behind you. Yeah, but I'm first. Well, we've noticed that. But you don't have to have it all. Why? Because God is my provider. If this moment in my life, this piece right here is his provision, that's not the end of the provision. He's my provider every day, not just on a certain day at a certain time. He is my provider. We'll talk about what a poverty mind spirit, what a poverty mindset looks like, but not today. Today, I just want us to stay focused on on these scriptures If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what, was, what his brother has sold. It's fascinating to me that God is concerned about what in inheritance gets lost and sets up a way for things to be redeemed. If I've got myself into a spot where I have to sell something because of my debt, god is mindful of that event now in this case old testament is talking about another member of the family is responsible to to come in and be the redeemer we don't live under that system at this point but it's still how do we help people not lose how do we how, how what does it look like in the kingdom to be redeemers If it's a characteristic of Jesus, it should be a characteristic of me. So how do I, how do I help that? Um, I don't, that? I don't have an answer to everything. For me, I, I, I'm doing things in my life right now which I believe are redemptive in nature and are bringing something back that was lost to, to people because of past things that governments did. Um, My heart's desire is that we can redeem that. If your brother becomes poor and can't maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger or a sojourner, and he shall live with you. That's one of the verses me and God are talking about. It's like, where do we go with that? But I think there's a I think there's a there's a place for that. Actually, we, you know, we we've said it before, but in the ho- coming up on, well, we've been married forty-seven years. This is our forty-seventh year. And in that time frame, we've had people live with us the vast majority of the time. Different people. Sometimes one, sometimes more but they were always in our house, which forced me to have to wait in line for the restroom. So I'm still trying to figure all that out. But there is a place. There is a place where we can act redemptively. I believe, I believe when we make those, when we go into those things, it requires wisdom on us. I believe that's a, a very prayerful thing that we should be doing. You know, and again, is the answer yes or no? It's not always a yes answer. It's not always a no answer. It's what is God doing right now? We've talked about it before, but I don't want to be in a place when, when, so when God has me in the crucible because he's working on something in me, and I tell you how miserable my life is right now, And you feel the need to make me happy again. So you start working to get me out of the crucible. You're doing all the work. I'm doing all the complaining. And in the end, maybe it wasn't time to come out of the crucible. Maybe the pain of my situation was what was necessary to move me to a place of real change. But I don't like people in pain, so I hurry up to move them out of pain. Yeah. If you're in pain because your arm's broken, I'll hurry up and get you to the emergency room. If you're in pain because God's dealing with you about a life issue that needs to be burnt away and you need to let go of, then maybe it's not time to get you to the ER yet. Maybe God's still doing something. But if we say that God is love, and he is, then I also know that whatever, wherever you're at, wherever I'm at, whatever God is dealing with me that's causing me pain, I'm also in the middle of his love. So he's not doing this because he hates me. God is a consuming fire. His love will consume the stuff that keeps me from being fully in him. It'll consume the stuff that keeps me from maturing into the son of God that I'm supposed to be. Am I interrupting that in somebody else's life, or am I enhancing that in somebody else's life? So these, again, this isn't a, it's not a clear line. I wish it was. It would make it so much easier because we could just write the book and then you turn to page three and we'll tell you what to do. And you got, no, it says right here on page three. I can't help you. <laughs> but it's not that way. So it requires us to come before the throne of grace. It requires us to pray. It requires us to seek the Lord. And then it requires us to be, to be steadfast in what it is he shows us. Walk it out. Um, let's, let's put up this, the picture. This, this picture has wrecked me for now over a week. This young man is playing violin at the funeral of his teacher who had taught him violin and had taken him out of the slums of Brazil. So my question is to us, Is this what we're stewarding is this what the kingdom looks like where people get rescued and their heart gets changed and whether they're literally playing at my funeral or not it's immaterial but one person impacted that young man's life and changed it forever We can't say, well, whatever. You yeah. know. That's just the way it is. No. It's not just the way it is. There are the one all around us. I don't have to go to a foreign country to find the one. But when I find the one, is this what they find what they find in me? Is this the Jesus that I'm reflecting? That they now have a skill that they didn't have before they met me. This young man, his skill is his violin. You know, For somebody else, the skill can be a myriad of things. But did they get something from me that transformed their life? Or did they get something that only ensnared them more. and I left them in worse shape because they knew me. not better. And I'm going to stop there for today. But this, this idea of us, Jesus said, "You have the poor with you always. That didn't That doesn't mean that... It's like this hopeless situation. He was just making a statement. In humanity, we will have the poor with us until he returns and sets things right in his full justice. But in the meantime, I am, if I'm his imager, I am required as a servant and I'm instructed as a steward to release the kingdom of God in other people's lives that they're better in this life, not worse. And I need to be conscious of my own words and actions that making things better is actually what I'm doing because I also know both sides of that coin. There are people that are worse off because they had an encounter with me, but that's not where I want to live. And I don't do what I do now because of some shame or guilt of that. I'm free from that, but I've also learned wisdom from that. And in that wisdom, I'm not going to do it again. Help me, Jesus. Father, Lord, I I just pray that for us as a church, as we move forward, Lord, that this place where those that are around us whether they be poor in spirit, whether they be poor in health, whether they be poor financially, whatever whatever their state is that makes them poor. Lord, may we come in your likeness. May we come as your imagers. May we come as sons of God manifesting the kingdom today and impart to them the wisdom of the kingdom that they would be set free that the prisoner and the captive would be liberated and that the poor would have the good news preached to them. Lord, thank you for this call on us. Thank you for this place of destiny that you've put within us. Thank you for the dreams that are incubating in this room right now. Thank you for dreams that have become realities and are now being released on the earth. Thank you for dreams that have been released on the earth and are are still impacting and maturing in the things that you've called us to do. Lord, I thank you, O God, that we've stuck our head above the crowd and we're not putting it back down. And we have burnt our boats, and we are moving forward. That in our lives and in our lifetime, we individually and us as a community are releasing light on the earth, that darkness is driven back. Jesus, in your name and for your glory, amen.